consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained. What is man that thou dost take thought of him, and the son of man that thou dost care for him? Good Heavens is a podcast that takes a deeper look into the cosmos, revealing God's wondrous power and design. There are many fascinating artifacts from the ancient past found throughout the world. The massive pyramids of Giza, the enormous Nazca lines of Peru, the intricate and wondrous stone temples and monuments like Stonehenge or the elongated heads of Easter Island that at first glance seem to challenge our modern technological understanding of how these things might have been constructed and for what purpose. Since the late 1960s, there has been a growth in popularity of the idea that aliens from another world came and helped our ancestors create these things. The idea is that since we modern people, with all our technological and engineering sophistication, don't exactly know how the pyramids or Stonehenge or Easter Island heads were created and put in place, that they must have had assistance from a technologically advanced alien civilization. Whether you find the idea of ancient aliens persuasive or not, the idea that we in the present day are technologically superior to ancient people is so ubiquitously and tacitly ingrained in our collective conscience we hardly question it. But this idea that we are superior to the people of the past is the nursery from which many false ideas about the past have been born, not just something limited to ancient alien conspiracy theories. In the modern era, many find the idea of God to be the product of ancient superstitions and myths. And though one may not be a proponent of the idea that ancient aliens once visited Earth, because of our fascination with science, technology, and even science fiction in literature and film, the idea of the existence of aliens is generally more widely accepted by secular culture than the idea of God's existence or a literal Adam and Eve. Our modern prejudices must be challenged on these points. Considering the idea that God is an ancient and outmoded way of thinking, or that science has disproven God, or that the Bible's account of the heavens and the earth in Genesis is mere mythological fantasy, are examples of what C.S. Lewis called chronological snobbery. He defined this as, quote, the uncritical acceptance of the intellectual climate common to our own age, 
and the assumption that whatever has gone out of date is, on that account, discredited. End quote. In other words, we assume we are technologically superior to our ancestors. After all, we have cured disease and have set foot on the moon, and so the modern myth goes, our knowledge of the world is far superior to the knowledge possessed by ancient cultures. We know what lightning is, we know what stars do, therefore we don't need God as an explanation for anything. But this is merely a naturalism of the gaps, like substituting the personal explanation of rocket scientists for mechanical explanations of how rockets work. The mechanics of rocket science don't do away with rocket scientists. To impose our modern technical knowledge as a standard by which to measure the qualitative aspects of our ancestors' knowledge is an anachronism. The best we can say is that temple building is one kind of knowledge, exquisite and fascinating in its own right, and rocket science another kind of knowledge, also wondrously fascinating. Would our ancestors assume we were helped by aliens from another world in constructing our spacecraft? What we cannot say is that the Saturn V rocket that took the Apollo astronauts to the moon is a superior intellectual achievement compared to the engineering prowess of those who designed and built the pyramids of Giza. That we tacitly assume intellectual and technical superiority over our ancient ancestors because of our rocketry is a non sequitur. It simply does not follow. And it is also one of the unchallenged assumptions of our time. It is also one of the foundational assumptions for the ancient alien thesis. The idea of our intellectual superiority is also an assumption that comes directly from natural selection, namely that prehistoric and ancient man has progressed from a state of ignorance in a brutish environment of survival of the fittest to a more refined and sophisticated intellectual superiority that enables us to do things our ancestors could only dream of. But again, one cannot argue that cell phones, rockets, or computers are qualitatively superior to temples, monuments, and enormous line drawings. Now, if you want to go to the moon, a Nazca line drawing isn't going to help you, certainly. But if you want to create intricate line drawings in the desert highlands of Peru, a Saturn V rocket will likewise be of little use to you. Our rockets cannot be employed as a standard to make qualitative judgments about our civilization being superior to ancient civilizations. We must, as Lewis notes, examine our own chronological snobbery. He observes that, quote, one passes to the realization that our own age is also a period, and certainly has, like all periods, its own characteristic illusions. They are likeliest to lurk in those widespread assumptions which are so ingrained in the age that no one dares to attack or feels it necessary to defend them, end quote. It is certainly true that our ancestors shared a collective ignorance of the cosmos, just as we do. We can also certainly concede that we know the cosmos much differently than they did. But this does not establish that our knowledge of the cosmos today is superior to the knowledge our ancestors possessed of the cosmos. Consider King David's reflecting on the heavens in Psalm 8 and in Psalm 19. These psalms were penned some 3,000 years ago. 
In Psalm 8, David writes, quote, When I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou dost take thought of him, and the son of man that thou dost care for him? End quote. That particular psalm was written down on a piece of paper and carried to the moon by Apollo 11 astronaut Buzz Aldrin. Or consider David's hymn of praise in Psalm 19. Quote, The heavens are telling of the glory of God, and their expanse is declaring the work of his hands. Day to day pours forth speech, and night unto night reveals knowledge. End quote. The idea that because those who lived 3,000 years ago were completely ignorant of modern science's finding about the universe, that their belief in God is a fabrication of their own ignorance and imagination, is indeed a prime example of the unexamined chronological snobbery of our time. Science today, for all its sophistication and collected data about the cosmos, has not advanced the cause of atheism one millimeter. We certainly have more knowledge than our ancestors did about the universe, but more knowledge does not mean superior knowledge. Science has not explained away God, in other words, nor could it. On this episode of Good Heavens, Wayne and I offer insights into why the idea of ancient aliens is simply false. We discuss how these ideas have led many to twist and falsely interpret scripture, and how they have led to dire consequences. From Easter Island to Giza to the high desert plateaus of Peru, we argue that the wonder of these ancient monuments have perfectly human explanations. We also hope that this episode in some way will inspire you to renew your mind and examine the tacit assumptions of the modern world, ones that set themselves up against the knowledge of God, both in creation and in Scripture. Hello, Wayne. It is another episode of Good Heavens, and I hear you've been hanging out on the planet Nibiru with aliens. Ancient <laughs> aliens. <laughs> Hi, Dan. I am I'm, uh, back from wherever. Uh, I don't you, remember Nibiru, though. <laughs> you were traveling. Uh, <laughs> I, I went to Florida. So you went to, that, that might be as weird as a planet that, Nibiru. <laughs> that's a better place to visit than Nibiru. Huh? Probably is, but it's still uh, just as strange. There might be some aliens in Florida. Who knows? Um, <laughs> but we are going to talk about uh, uh, ancient aliens. And uh, let's just let's just throw out a spoiler alert. Uh, Wayne and I don't believe the ancient aliens exist. Um, we this is a debunking program. 
Um, so, so if you want to listen to the end, we just saved you about 30 minutes. Uh, we don't believe in ancient aliens, and uh, we're going to give you some resources and tips and tools uh, to, to understand why. And Wayne, why don't you explain why we're even talking about this? Because it seems like when I started digging into this, it, it just, in a matter of minutes, you see how silly it is. But I mean, I say that, I want to say that respectfully because there's some people that are diehard believers in this thing. It's a very popular phenomenon. The History Channel loves it. Uh, I don't know if they're on Discovery Channel or whatever, but you could you could find any cable program or Google something about ancient aliens. It's, it's, it's part of the mystique and the genre of aliens in general because, what, since the 1950s and the Roswell incident and Hollywood and television and science fiction – we are a culture, Wayne, that that takes aliens more seriously than we do Adam and Eve. Yes, uh, a, a lot of people do. You know, that's and a real problem. It is, and uh, so so we've been primed for decades now um, in our imaginations to think of uh, aliens and people, life on other planets. And uh, this also has not only a Hollywood imaginative cultural appeal. But this idea of aliens also has an evolutionary assumption in it, whereas the, 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 the premise of this seems to be, and you can speak to this, Wayne, the, the earlier, the ancient people, are, we're not as smart as we are. That's, what, that's the fallacy, right, that we've evolved uh, to be like we are the pinnacle of intelligence in terms of human history. But this is what C.S. Lewis calls um, – chronological snobbery to to think that we are smarter than our ancient uh, ancestors and i i would argue and i always have argued um you know nobody knows how they can build nobody knows i mean imagine a project of people today trying to build uh the pyramids in giza without technology that we have today i mean we really don't can't conceive of how we might go about doing this. So I think the knowledge thing, it's not that we're better or smarter. It's that we have maybe more knowledge. doesn't mean we're smarter though, right? So there's a way to use knowledge and wisdom. Uh, we have different knowledge. We, maybe we have more knowledge, but it doesn't mean that we're more intelligent necessarily. Yes, I think that's um, important to, to understand. Yeah, yeah, because if we keep in mind that the ancient people were probably a lot more like us uh, than we care to realize, that would really change a lot of people's perspective of history. But in terms of the ancient alien argument, um, we're going to talk about some things tonight that uh, people look at, the ancient, some ancient ruins, maybe some hieroglyphs, some, some Assyrian language, uh, some, some drawings on the plains, some carvings on on sarcophagi. Uh, we are going to look at some things that have made people think uh, ancient aliens must have been involved because these ancient people could not have done that, right? That's the assumption. Yeah, yeah. So, so um, w- w- let's let's kick it off, Wayne. I know we're going to refer people to your essay. You wrote an essay on your blog, or oh, it's not your blog; it's on your website, right? My website. Yeah, yeah, it's on your website, and um, we'll refer people uh, to that article on your website in the notes. Um, but let's talk about briefly, so let's just set the stage. The two gentlemen that I would say that are primarily responsible for the, the ancient alien concept are Von Daniken, a guy named uh, Von Daniken. I think his name is Eric Von Daniken, right? Or yes. Yeah. Eric Von Daniken. Eric, Eric 
E-R-I-C-H, Eric von Daniken. And he, he's German, so I don't know how he would pronounce the Erich. Eric. Uh, and then we have a, a gentleman who, uh, by the name of Zachariah Sitchin. So, Wayne, you're going to have to hold me accountable because I'm going to say Stitchin a hundred times if I say it. Yeah, well. it's Sitchin, <laughs> not Stitchin. Right. So, so Von, so, Daniken, uh, Von Daniken came out with a book. <laughs> <laughs> and I always say habitable instead of habitable, or habitable instead of habitable. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, uh, so, so there's Von Daniken's book. Uh, has the title of Chariot of the Gods, like a question mark. And, of course, yeah. you know, our answer tonight is going to be no. Um, and then Zachariah Sitchin came out with a book in, I think it was 1972 or a couple of years after um, uh, Von Daniken, but, uh, or 1976, I think it was 76, um, The Twelfth Planet. And this is where the whole idea of Nibiru coming from the Assyrians and uh, all this stuff. So those are the two yes. individuals that really spawned this. But, of course, this is coming on the heels of the alien craze and the UFO craze of the 1950s and Roswell and all that. Um, so yes. why, don't, why don't we jump in, Wayne? Uh, why don't you give us a little bit of background about uh, – a little bit more about the ancient alien concept. I've kind of set you up here. So uh, where do you yeah. want to go? Well, uh, Eric von Danigan wrote the book Chariots of the Gods, and uh, I don't know the exact publication date. It was in the 70s, the early 1970s, I think. 1968, I have it here. 68, okay. Yeah. yeah. So that's 10 years after I was born, I guess. But uh, Oh, okay. Well, don't tell anybody. I was actually born in 68, so we won't tell anybody, <laughs> we won't tell anybody so how was, old we are. That was kind of your year then. <laughs> that uh, was my year, yeah, man. Uh, anyway... Uh, he started this, and there were many others that have published books and things about this since Von Danigan. Uh And Von Danigan wrote more than just that one book. There's, and I don't really have a list of all his books. but Right. So he started it, and it kind of spawned many others that are built on his ideas. Right. And I, I would say many have accepted his ideas way too uncritically. Yeah, yeah. And so I'm just concerned, Dan, that people would not be misled by this. Yeah, because uh, a lot of it, as we'll see, and as you've pointed out in your article, um, a lot of ancient alien advocates will use the Bible um, and just take things out of context and say, well, this is a UFO, or this is a UFO, or these are ancient aliens. Right, um, and that's just that's that's really probably the, the biggest concern is the misattribution of scripture when people are talking about uh, this particular topic. Yeah, and Dan, I've noticed that there's uh, the, you know there's a lot of sources on this. That I mean, there's a lot of TV programs and and special uh, films of different kinds of documentary type style things. On the topic, and there's lots of books, um, but I would say that to get good information that really shows the problems with this is a lot harder. It's not so easy to find good information on this. Yeah, that's that's uh, that's absolutely and, key. And scholars generally uh, shy away from this, and don't take the time to even refute it or debunk it very often. Now, there's a, right, there's, right. a, there's a Christian man, a Bible scholar, 
uh, and Michael Heiser, who's who got some really good material on this, and he has a, a, a special website that's called sitchinisrong.com. <laughs> you got to spell that right. It's Sitchin, right, not Stitchin. Right. If you not don't spell stitching. it right, yeah. if you don't spell it right, you won't get to the website. Right. Well, let's uh, make it clear, Wayne, that Von Daniken and Sitchin are not scholars. They're not linguists. They're not uh, archaeologists. They're individuals that seem to have a a, uh, a lay interest um, in yeah. the ancient, ancient cultures, and they, you know, I what we don't want to do, and what I can't do, is attribute. Well, why did they do this? What, we don't want to kind of get into the motives for why they did this. You know, maybe they wanted to make money. Were they lying to people? Did they believe what they were talking about? Um, but they weren't they weren't scholars in the traditional sense that uh, you know, like a, a linguist or someone who knows Assyrian or Babylonian languages or Egyptologists or archaeologists. Um, these individuals were not uh, of that cloth. But I think what you say, Wayne, is important because these books became so popular in the minds of a lot of people because, as Michael Heiser points out in the video link that you have of his in your website, that uh, Heiser points out that how many of us, how many of us could actually check these guys' resources when they say Akkadian or Sumerian languages say this, this, and that? I mean, yes. how, how, how do we know that? We just kind of go, ooh, that sounds good, and it, he sounds like he knows what he's talking about. But as Heisler, as Heiser says... One of the fundamental aspects, uh, characteristics of these guys' books is that they don't cite things. So you can't go back yeah. and tr- trace their thinking. Where did they get that from? Where did they get that from? Yes. Uh, that's a very critical thing. So we hope that this podcast tonight will give you at least a, a, a launching pad to go look into. Wayne has his footnoted things. There are resources there. Michael Heiser is probably the best uh, scholar who's uh who's dug into this um con- contemporary today so we'll uh we'll just give you some food for thought and then you can launch into looking at these things into look, looking into these things for yourself right so uh another thing resource i found that's quite good is a uh, there's a man named chris white who's done a really good uh, website and uh, uh, YouTube video. The, the YouTube video is really, I'd really recommend it, but it's three hours and 10 minutes long, um, hmm. going through all, many, many different problems about the ancient aliens' ideas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, it's very good. Uh, I'd really hope that people will take the time to, to go watch it. <clears throat> so... There's a lot of different directions you can go with this, and there are many different topics. And however we uh, launch into this, Dan, we'll probably just be uh, scratching the surface of all of yes, the things we will. that have been brought up. Right, right. Um, one of the things I kind of like to, to start with is, uh, for example, there's something called Puma Punku, which is some <laughs> Puma Punku. It's a... Uh, a, a Ruins of an old temple in Bolivia, in Peru. Okay. And, and I'm sorry, but in Bolivia, this was the one in Bolivia. And in uh, the area is called Tiwanaku. And so there are certain um, stones there. And Bondanigan started talking about this. And it, it became promoted as a, a site where they, they try to argue that aliens actually built that aliens directly themselves built this. 
Mm. And but it's ruins now because over the years people have taken these old stones and used them for something else. Sometimes, yeah. So yeah. it's kind of been a plundered, uh, plundered building kind of. So this is one of those things where we look at these ruins and go, "There's no way these people could have done that." Yes, and there's kind of a unique way that the stones are made. They're kind of H-shaped stones. Mm-hmm. And and uh, first of all, uh, Bondini had got some facts wrong on this. So he he said that the, these stones are made of granite and diorite. Uh, di- those are two particular types of minerals that ro- are common in rocks. But and he argued that they are too hard for people to uh, carve the stones themselves. Mm. So it took aliens to. Uh, work with these stones, but actually they're not granite or diorite. They're uh, sandstone, and uh, some of them are andesite. But, mm. So sandstone is softer than granite. Yes. Yeah, so yeah. You, if you take a, a piece of granite, and you can use it to chip away at sandstone without too much difficulty. Right. And this is one thing that they did. So it's an example there of how they if you actually look at all the facts of around the site, it's pretty evident how they did it. I mean, they have, they had stones that are, sometimes these are called pounding stones or they, sometimes they're called hammer stones. Mm. And it's just where you, you have a certain technique to this, but you, you learn to take a, a, a rock and you pound it against the edge of another rock and you chip away at it a little at a time. You might you knock away little chips away, and they would they would start the work that way, and then they would have smaller uh, smaller stone hammer things to make smaller, uh, more fine edges. You know, here's the thought, Wayne. You know, because all the stuff we're going to talk about is is uh, has been is earthy. So we're talking about stones and rocks and uh, you know drawing line drawings and whatever. But I'm thinking, you know, if this was really alien technology and these aliens flew down or flew to us in these craft, why why are we using stones <laughs> to build things? <laughs> I mean, why don't we build – why don't the aliens use the stuff that their flying machines were made of? Why not bring some exotic materials? Why are we using stones? <laughs> well, that's why would a good aliens, qu- Why would aliens a, do this? It's <laughs> a good question. Bondanigan actually goes into that some, I think. But, oh, he uh, does? He does? Yeah, he says they, they use local um, materials there. Like, but he, there's a lot of problems with Bondanigan, what he says in this. And there are ways of making things out of stone that doesn't take modern tools. And yeah. There's a lot, a lot of this, Dan, is that uh, the the ancient people, wherever they were, whether they were in Egypt or South America, wherever this is, mm-hmm. uh, they're not given enough credit for their ingenuity. That's right. That's right. They don't have to have our technology. That's right. Look uh, at Michael Michelangelo and yeah. the, the 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 David statue. I mean, nobody's suggesting that. I don't know. Maybe they are that that aliens carved David from marble. <laughs> but right. you know, look what he look what one man did with a piece of marble. I mean, you know, he didn't have any help, and look at that magnificent statue. It looks like, that's right. And is, was know, Michelangelo uh, an alien? Uh, <laughs> was it? Was there anything supernatural, special about him? He was a he was a, a talented human being. Yeah, okay? it absolutely was. And and the people of ancient times were just as talented, but yeah. they were they were different. They didn't have the knowledge. 
that we have, but they, they were still ingenious people. Right, because you could argue that uh, that Michelangelo, I mean, let's say they found David. I mean, look at the Greek statues. Why isn't, I mean, those are just as exquisite. And why isn't anybody suggesting, or maybe they are, that aliens came down and used lasers to, to carve the intricate uh, human forms of all these Greek statues and their size? I know one of the ancient wonders, the wonders of the ancient world was the Colossus at Rhodes, and there's nothing left of it, I don't think, but... The, the way in which the people could work with stone mason, the stonemasons of the ancient world just had this remarkable talent. And as you said, we don't give them enough credit, and this is part of our evolutionary thinking that we, we assume wrongly that our ancient ancestors did not have the intelligence and the skill to pull these off. Right. And, uh, uh, you know, Dan, we've talked about Genesis here and there. and Yeah. I really believe Genesis is historical. Uh, Genesis says that even a few, gen- several generations, or maybe five or six generations, I don't remember exactly, from Adam, from the first man, people were already working with with iron and making things of metal. Yeah. And one of the things that, there's a way that you can make things of metal and make an alloy, to, to make chisels that work well with stone. So, for example, in Egypt they had copper, mm-hmm. and they would make uh, they would prepare these stones for the pyramids and all their constructions in Egypt. And if you had uh, a copper as a chisel, it would wear off pretty rapidly. I mean, yeah. you'd have to frequently sharpen it, right. but it could be used. So one one of the things that was found to do is you you, you take some nickel and uh, I think it's arsenic and you find if you can find those you mix them with copper and you melt it mix it together as an alloy and that makes the uh, the the tool much harder and it okay. worked well for a chisel. Excellent. Then the, the the Egyptians had a number of other techniques for cutting stone. So for example, they start a cut in a stone. And they take a, a kind of a thick, um, flat kind of a piece of metal. It didn't have to have sharp edges on it, but it would just be kind of a something that you could use like a saw. But mm-hmm. what they would do is they put sand under it, and mm. the sand actually cuts the stone. Oh wow! You just run the uh, iron back and forth or the metal back and forth. And put sand in it, and the sand cuts the stone, and it makes a flat edge. That's remarkable. That's and wonderful. and even in Egypt, they they were able to have things like plumb bobs. They they could use triangle devices to make mm-hmm. square square corners and such. And so there's no reason it couldn't be done. And then they had some other really clever things that they came up with to build the pyramids on certain, it's all something engineering problems with it. Yeah. It's amazing to me because we think we live in a very distracted culture. I mean, we're watching TV and Netflix and Twitter and Facebook and where does, where does all the time go, Wayne? You know, but when you're in the ancient world and you don't have electronics and you focus your intentions and energies and skills in, in working with your environment and understanding how to work with nature and the materials, uh, you can do quite amazing things. You know, it's, it is truth, truthfully, uh, the wonder of the ancient world to me is kind of discovering that our ancestors were pretty smart. 
Um, you know, right. I, um, I mean, just like us in, in some sense, our knowledge is different, but, uh, um, our evolutionary assumptions presume that we have, you know, progressed, but just because we could go to the moon, doesn't mean that we are superior in our knowledge or intellect than the Egyptians who could build pyramids. Right. And another example I go into in my article is about the Moai statues of Eastern Island. So yeah, those, those are my favorite things. Uh, I, I, I just love those faces. The, um, it's very interesting. Um, so there's, there's a kind of a fake mystery that the uh, ancient alien promoters make of this, which yeah. is, is all around – how did they make the statues and how did they move the statues and all that sort right. of thing? Right. And why did they even make them? But that's not the mystery. That's well known. And the people of the island could tell you about it. And it's there's evidence all over the island for how they did it. Um, that's not the mystery. And, I, and we could talk about that a little bit. But the real mystery is more about who made them and why did they make them. Yes, yes. Yeah. And so we, that's we, the interesting part to me. So we have all the technical apparatus available. I've seen a couple of shows where they had a group of, uh, I don't know how many, a handful of people that were able to rope these things and sort of wobble them and walk them. But I've also seen that, that these statues aren't just heads, that they go down to bodies that are sort of buried right now. Uh, some of them are. But I don't I don't know the full archaeological yes, and story some of, of this. But Some of them have what looks like a hat on top of the head <laughs> yeah i've seen it's, those and they, then, they, then they make an issue how did they get the hat on the on the head of the statue because <laughs> it's it looks different than the rest of it yeah um, yeah uh, it's like a like some some tricks like like ancient people's vandalism hey i'm gonna put a hat on this one <laughs> but but you know there's actually uh there's evidence of pieces of rope and that people used to use them and even modern times just yeah. to demonstrate how it can be done you, they've had people uh uh put ropes around one of these statues and they're, they're able to move it they even can move with, them right even without um something like logs to roll them on yeah and then uh, the the ancient alien people will talk about okay well how could they move them without logs cuz there's no log there's no trees on the island Mm-hmm. Well, guess what happened to the trees on the island? They were they were cut down to roll statues around. <laughs> they were used. They, they were all used. Yeah. Now there's there's real evidence for the trees on the island that used to be there from okay. pollen pollen in the soil. This is gotcha. Been done. So gotcha. there's there's more than just there's more real research that's been done than what Don, Von Denigan has done here. Okay. Uh, there's so. Uh, the the interesting question is more who were the people who first got there, and uh, it's an unfortunate thing. But probably what seems to have happened is they they used the trees so much to uh, move the statues around that it um, it kind of made the 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 land barren of trees, and that makes the soil erode. Now get this, trees hold the soil, so it prevents erosion. And so it seems to me, having grown up on a farm in Kansas, and my my dad actually did soil conservation work. What they what they they wasted the trees, and they could have been building farms and and so on, but instead they were carving statues. So it it says something about a little a little lesson in idolatry there when you're dedicated to the wrong, uh, well, the wrong yeah, things. You yes, the, their beliefs. 
gave them a priority that really wasn't good for the yeah. for, for the people there. That's and interesting. It, and it caused a problem for how they live on the island. So the wrong beliefs leads people to mix up priorities and do do something that's really kind of irresponsible. We we make we make an idol and we dedicate time, money, and resources to it and think it's going to deliver us. Um but it's like it's like uh, what what's uh, Elijah and the prophets of Baal? Where are your gods? Maybe yes, they're, maybe they're sleeping. <laughs> now, uh, you know? one of the questions has has been why why do they move the statues where they do? So, for example, some of them there's, there's certain places along the shore where there's a lot of these statues all lined up, mm-hmm. and uh, apparently that was because there were some uh, freshwater springs along the shore. Mm. Uh, right along the shore. And so they would, so the statues, I think they represented ancestors. So it's it's kind of like a prayer to the ancestors to to, uh, pray for water or something, um, apparently. But nobody's quite sure of all the motivation behind it. Now, Wayne, where where can people go to find out all this fun stuff that you learned about the statues well the the website that i mentioned from uh, chris white the youtube video we'll, we'll give links to those uh, i'd recommend those from chris white so that's the that's the easter island but von daniken is kind of lazy here he just says well i can't conceivably think it's kind of an argument from ignorance i can't conceive of any other way than than this to be aliens so I'm not saying it's aliens, but I'm but it's aliens. <laughs> yeah, well, it's it's not a mystery how they did this. Yeah, uh, with the, making the stones and, and moving them around. Well, what you said, I think it's important. Let's uh, let's talk for a minute about um, uh, one of the ways in which, um, and maybe this can lead you into another ancient alien uh, example that you have. But I know that I see a lot of this in the ancient aliens uh, shows and things that, that, as we said in the beginning, ancient alien advocates will um, take scripture out of context. Um, And whether it's talking about Nephilim or one of my favorite passages is, and and you described this in your article, so maybe we can talk about this, uh, Ezekiel's vision of the cherubim in chapter one of Ezekiel. Um, and he's describing this, and he says in, in verse 15, he says, Now as I looked at the living beings, these are the visions of the four figures, as I looked at the living beings, there was one wheel on the earth beside the living beings for each of the four of them. The appearance of the wheels and their workmanship was like sparkling barrel, and all four of them had the same form, their appearance and workmanship being as if one wheel were within another. Wherever they moved, they moved in any of the four directions without turning as they moved. As for their rims, they were lofty and awesome, and all the rims of all four of them were full of eyes round about. And whenever the living creatures, whenever the living beings moved, the wheels moved with them. And whenever the living beings rose from the earth, the wheels rose also. Wherever the spirit was about to go, they would go in that direction, and the wheels rose close beside them, for the spirit of the living beings was in the wheels. Whenever those went, these went, and whenever these stood still, these stood still. And whenever those rose from the earth, the wheels rose close beside them, for the spirit of the living beings was in the wheels. 
So this is that, uh, you know, wheels within the wheels and the living beings. And a lot of people just kind of come to this. They just run to the sea. Aliens. Ezekiel didn't know what he was talking about. He was describing aliens and he didn't know it. And uh, yeah, so that, well, that's not that's not the right way to look at this. In the yes, Bible please. Uh, please debunk this. So um, I would really recommend um, watching some of the videos my, by Michael Heiser and go to his he has a website th- that deals with this now, and on the Chris White's website, which we can give a link to, that has information from Michael Heiser on Chris Rice Chris White's website that deals with this. Now, why did Michael Heiser have background related to this? It's because he knows a lot about ancient Near Eastern languages. Mm-hmm. Now, the the uh, people like Von Danigan and the ancient alien promoter people, they are coming into this with no knowledge of the ancient peoples and the ancient languages. That's right. That's and, right. And they are really doing a kind of wholesale rejection of modern scholarship on these things. Mm-hmm. You don't you don't come to answers about the mysterious things about about ancient people or ancient documents without some knowledge. That's right. Uh, it, it takes some knowledge, okay? And you, the the ancient alien promoters are skipping all the scholarly background and work that it took to figure out these things for real. They they are they are shortcutting the process and jumping to a conclusion without the knowledge. Right. I like what Michael Heiser says in one of his videos. He said, uh, what we're looking at here is, uh, you know, maybe Von Daniken and um, um, Sitchin could could read a little bit of these things. It's one thing to read. It's another thing to be a scholar. And, and Heiser goes into saying, uh, you know, at the time, I don't know how old the video is. It's not that much. It's not that old. But he said he has a 12-year-old son. And he's like, my son can read English. Um, but there's no way he's an English scholar. He can read a sentence, but can he diagram in great detail a sentence? You know, and so that's the difference between, and that's what scholarly work in, in languages do. They diagram verbs, nouns, and predicates, and verb tenses, and, and so he explains what what uh, linguistic scholars of the ancient Near East do versus what von Daniken and Sitchin do. It's kind of it's a very superficial and oftentimes completely erroneous interpretation of ancient languages yes and uh as far as the ezekiel's vision you know the bible's uh visions are kind of strange sometimes but uh this is a a way of describing god's throne that's not that this is not the only place in the old testament where you have something kind of like this right and uh so it's it seems to me that it's kind of describing God in a way that's kind of similar to the way they might have thought of a king in the ancient world. Now, a king would travel around on a chariot or maybe be, or might be carried by other people, right? Well, this is kind of a, a throne chariot. There's God's throne, and it's moved around by these cherubim angels. Uh-huh. That's that's really was describing, but it's kind of strange looking. Then it, it's there's more of clarification. In the rest of chapter one, it's the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. So he describes yes. the throne. He describes the beautiful appearance of the lapis lazuli, which is a blue, and on that which resembled a throne high up was a figure with the appearance 
of a man. And then, then Ezekiel associates this man, um, you know, he describes him, his loins and upwards, something like glowing metal that looked like fire all around within it. And from the appearance of his loins and downward, I saw something like fire and there was a radiance around him. And then he says, the last verse of chapter one, as the appearance of the rainbow and the clouds on a rainy day, so was the appearance of the surrounding radiance, light. So was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. And when yeah. I saw it, I fell on my face and heard a voice speaking. So this this is this is not aliens. Uh, right. E- Ezekiel is being very specific. I have seen the glory of the Lord. And, of course, a lot of biblical scholars will say this is a- an appearance of the glorified pre-incarnate Lord Jesus Christ because you have man and the glory of the Lord together here. And Ezekiel sees this, and he lives. And so anytime a man sees God and lives, God is always mediated to us when he appears to us. So we we have something of the of the glory of God in in the pre-incarnate Lord Jesus Christ before he is, you know, born of a virgin and comes as he does in in the New Testament. But this is the glory of the Lord. This is not aliens. These are not strange beings that spoke strange words. Uh, Ezekiel knew who this was and fell on his face, and then God started speaking to him. And and then he calls, uh, the, the Lord calls Ezekiel, son of man, which is a title that Jesus takes upon himself in the New Testament. So, no, yeah. no, no way. This is like Ezekiel doesn't know what he's seeing. I mean, he's he's aw- right. he's awestruck by it, but he knows it's God. Right. Uh, not and he's not mistaking aliens for God. He's not worshiping the cherubim. Um, he's not calling them alien beings. He knows exactly what those are, and uh, so it's very specific here. And and taking this out of context to 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 sort of justify a a proposition that has no basis in scholarship or history or archaeology. It's just completely irresponsible at best. Yes, and so Bob Daningen and these others, they, they will refer to things in the Bible without uh, knowing much about it, and they will uh, imply that what, what they're implying is that it's not really uh, true. It's just something we that ancient people wrote like other books that are ancient things that people wrote, but the Bible cannot be lumped into other ancient things. Yeah. Uh, other ancient sources of documents like that. Right. There's something very special about how we got the Bible and it's inspired unlike other things. And the people who wrote the Bible were of many different backgrounds, but they, they knew what they were writing. Right. They they were not going to get aliens from space mixed up with God or angels. Exactly. Exactly. Um, now, um, maybe we want to go into this, and if you if if I'm, we're we're kind of skipping around, it's just stuff that's coming into my head. But um, sure, a lot of good stuff in your article. Um, one of the things that has fascinated me is the Nazca lines in Peru. Yeah. I mean, these so the Nazca lines are are giant drawings some of them are miles in length i think they get up to like 10 miles okay um but it has been suggested that these these were these could not have been done from the ground uh that somebody needed a sort of bird's eye view if you will somebody had to be hovering high in the sky to see these things um and to 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 guide people on the ground to draw these things but uh i've also heard that that these were at least some of them were sort of like landing strips 
uh, for for alien craft uh, and things like yeah. that. Um, but Von Danigan and other ancient alien promoters have made some erroneous claims about the Nazca lines. Wayne, what did you find as you were digging into this? Yeah, so the, what they do again is they kind of create a fake mystery because they don't get into the they don't deal with what who are these people that did this you you can't answer questions like this without digging into who were they what did they believe what were what was their motivation for doing this and we don't sometimes know all the answers but so these people in it's one of the driest places in the world and um there's very very little wind it's it's like no wind ever and that's why when they would uh make these markings across the surface it would stay there for a long time so this white the lighter the lighter color of the lines is a rock just below the the surface correct right so there's a reddish um soil right on the surface and you can scrape it away just uh part part of an inch or, and you'll see a wider, a lighter uh, material below it. Wow. So it's just, all you got to do is scrape some of it off. But what were they really doing? Uh, this this has been debated some, and a lot of the lines are actually not straight lines like a runway. They're, they're drawings of animals. Okay. So they're drawings of a whole variety of animals. and um, But sometimes the lines seem to be related to water sources. So oh. so they could have been marking a path to get to a water source. Okay. Uh, and they could have also been, uh, they may have been doing this kind of like, you, you think of drawing a, a picture of a bird with the lines. Maybe that was one of the gods they believed in. And the, the prayer, it was like a prayer to make this drawing to pray for water and pray for their crops or something. Okay. Well, that makes, again, you know, we have exactly what the Bible says in Romans, that, that man, fallen sinful man, has worshipped. I mean, we don't know exactly what the, the Nazca were doing, but um, but there's resplendent examples in the ancient world of, of worshipping nature instead of God. And yes. uh, so that's very possible that that's what these people were doing. But it fascinated me that, that, uh, that, that, Attempts have been made in in our time. Um, I don't know how long ago is you, you came across a, a, an individual that actually redid some of these lines or or did an example of how these lines could have been done. How did they do that? Yeah, there's a man named Joe Nickel who I think he did this in Nebraska, if I remember correctly. And so he looked into this and found out you you can very easily make lines like this what it's what it is is like a scale drawing you could draw something on a piece of paper or somewhere and then if you if you did certain measurements of your drawing you could transfer that drawing into uh outside on on the ground or something by measuring the the angles and how how you drew it and just reproduce the same thing on a bigger scale. Okay. That's not hard to do and and a lot of almost anybody could do that if they took the time. So very commonsensical approach to just large scale drawings with people that had a lot of time to do these things. Yeah, he just did a kind of scale 
reproduction of something that he, that he drew. I mean, and, but he'd do it outside. You need kind of a, and it worked well in the Nazca area because the wind doesn't blow the dirt away and cover up all of these lines. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's fascinating. So there's there's a lot more simple explanations that we could say for these than uh, than ancient aliens, which is just the default of von Daniken and Sitchin. Um, you know, one of the things that I, I enjoyed also, and Michael Heiser talks about this in the video, and you mentioned it in your article, is Byzantine art. Wayne, why why are ancient alien people running to Byzantine art for proof of ancient aliens? What's going on there? Well, of course, uh, we're talking about this, and all we have is audio to have this. So if, I would really recommend, again, that you watch the video by Chris White because you can see uh, the examples. And the, the ancient alien promoters tend to give you just partial information and not enough to understand what you're looking at. Um, so there's some of these Byzantine art that they use draw, uh, drawing methods and or, uh, techniques in paintings that was kind of a, uh, a carryover from Roman art. And one of the ways they would do that is they would depict the sun and moon in a kind of personified way, like they were uh, a, a being or something. Mm. So, with, so the sun would look one way and it would have light emanating from it and the moon would be kind of a darker or paler color and and the in the some of these um paintings they're really depicting a, a biblical scene like the the virgin mary or something and they're and up in the the two upper left and right corners there'll be these rounded looking things that looks like there's light or something coming off of it and so the ancient alien people say well, those are those are alien spaceships but that's that was that would never have been thought of by the people who did these paintings because the, this is how they depicted the sun and moon so like the sun and moon might be depicted like their witnesses watching uh, the resurrection or watching Mary uh, and one of them that was shown on this video it's it's depicting the shepherds when they saw an angel so mm. sometimes these strange things are in the sky are depicting angels in some way so if you look down below in the it's kind of in the back of the painting it's up in a corner that it's easy to miss it but if you don't look for it there's a shepherd with a dog looking up in the sky at this thing in the sky and what's it depicting it's depicting the shepherd seeing the angels who are announcing the birth of Jesus and then in the bigger part of the picture on the left you have the uh, Mary and G the baby Jesus mm. So it's all about the baby Jesus, and you have the sun and the moon are witnesses of this. Is the way that's depicted. Okay, all right. Well, that that is a a good summary of that. But uh, no no evidence there in these in these works of art about um, ancient aliens. And there's um, a, there's another thing that's kind of interesting in some of these paintings. They have a, a way of painting God by showing a a ring of angels. It, and, and it looks kind of strange, it's a roundish thing. But, but if you look close, it's like a, 
uh, a ring of angels, and this is the way that they would depict God doing something. Oh. And then some of these things will have this ring of angels. Then they have a, what looks like a beam of light going down to Mary's belly. Hmm. Wow. <laughs> so what is that depicting? It's, yeah, the, it's, the, it's the Holy Spirit uh, impregnating Mary is what wow. it's depicting. It's not aliens. Not it's aliens. not aliens. And no, no, no one would have ever mistook it for aliens from the people <laughs> who, who did the painting. Wow. Um well, that's fascinating. Thank you for that. There is something I, personal. I have a personal vested interest in this ancient aliens. I have a little story that happened to me. This was in 2013 or 2014. Forgive me for not knowing which this was because it was very interesting to me at the time. I think it was 2013. Um, do you remember, Wayne, Comet Ison? Yeah, a little bit. It's- yeah, I think that was 2013 or 2014. I don't know which year exactly. Pardon me. I'll have to go back and look. But um, Comet Ison was a newly discovered comet at the time, and it was super bright, and it was going to come really close to Earth, and it was going to go around the sun, and everybody was expecting it. And there was a lot of news and a lot of hubbub, and is it going to hit Earth? It's going to come really close. It's really bright. Is this the end? And there was kind of a fervor uh, online for a bit about uh, what what, uh, Ison was going to do. But this brought out some ancient alien nonsense um on youtube um surprise surprise one of the things and some guy i I forgot his name and i don't even know if he has the channel anymore but i remember at the time uh this guy has been he was interviewed and the media kind of paid attention to him a little bit he said he got an astronomy degree from a, a university in tennessee or kentucky or something but he was advocating that comet ison was planet nibiru but planet nibiru is a fabrication of Sitchin's imagination. Yeah. He he calls it the twelfth planet. That uh, it circles our solar system every. It doesn't orbit every thirty six hundred years. And uh, there's a Babylonian story that uh, that that mentions Nibiru, but but Sitchin's interpretation of Nibiru is where we get this idea that uh, uh, what in the ancient alien idea of these. The people, um, and I'm going to mispronounce this one, Anunnaki, is that correct? I think. Yeah, Anunnaki. Yeah. Um, but Michael Heiser points out that there's no, there's nothing in the Sumerian Babylonian texts that connect Nibiru to Anunnaki as aliens who come to Earth looking for gold and and doing all these other things. Um, and he, this is where he points out that that Sitchin was was not an ancient Near Eastern language scholar mm-hmm. at all. And uh, there's some strange interpretations of of, of Sitchin uh, who, who claims the Anunnaki were the Nephilim in Genesis. And uh, Heiser's like, no. <laughs> and that, 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 that the names and interpretations that Sitchin offers for these things were like people of the rocket or something. And Heiser's just like, this is, this is just fabrication and inanity, and there's no, there's not a single serious shred of scholarship uh, that would support anything that Sitchin has said about Nibiru or the Anunnaki or the Nephilim. He he just saw words and he made stuff up, and uh, it was completely, completely fabricated and completely false. But you know, and but the guy, the, the, this is what bothered me the most about the Nibiru thing and Ison with this with this astronomer who he claimed to be had an astronomy degree. He claimed to be a Christian. He claimed to be a Christian, 
and he was spouting this stuff and you know every week as he was following Ison he was talking about Nibiru and all this stuff and and that's where I think Wayne this is another problem for the church that we as Christians we get we can get easily distracted easily turned aside from what is most important and you know I, I have no idea what what the future holds but but the Bible does say Wayne that that there could be the elect of God led astray by signs and wonders of false prophets and the Antichrist or many Antichrists that do come into the world. Um, so this isn't just something that, you know, we, we were laughing and joking about this, but in in all seriousness, um, people can be led astray by these by these signs and wonders. And and, and being led astray, um, as, as Heiser points out, um, people who don't have the ability to understand ancient Near Eastern languages and the Anakin and, and Sitchin and Von Daniken come along and they say these things about the Sumerians and the Babylonians and the Egyptians, the average person's just going to go, well, oh, well, that's cool. He must have done his homework. But we don't have the capacity to to, to learn and to, 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 to really go in and do the legwork to understand what what the languages are saying. And so we're we just run after these things because they seem fascinating and fantastic and you know they they appeal to our imaginations but they're not grounded in in truth and so that's yes. another another reason why i think this is important for christians and this isn't just about ancient aliens but any kind of conspiracy theory or 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 just these ideas that 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 are not grounded in truth and as christians i think we don't want to we don't want to get caught up in these things yes and uh in fact, uh, sometimes certain cult groups have similar problems where they 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 have some interpretation of something that isn't that is really uh, completely against what's really known from the knowledge about the language or something. Um, it's, it's so there are certain kind of similarities. Uh, it seems to me about what's wrong with the ancient alien ideas and some of the things that comes from certain cults um, because it goes against what's really known. Um, so it's important. Well, do you remember, um, do you remember um, um, the uh, Marshall Applewhite and the Heaven's Gate cult? They were a cult yeah. uh, in the 90s. Um, that were they all committed suicide in a house in Southern California, uh, thinking uh-huh. that uh, a comet or an asteroid that was passing by, I think it was a comet, um, that they were all going to commit group suicide, which they did, thinking that they were going to they oh, were going to yes. be transported to this uh, this comet that was passing by, and uh, very tragic. Um, it, yes. it was, but it was a UFO cult. Um, and we we have yes. some information on that on our website at watchman.org. But uh, very sad. I mean, this, this as you say, the, 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 the UFO, it's not a, a couple of steps away from the occult and the demonic. Um, we have a whole – we have two podcast episodes we did uh, last year with Gary Bates of Creation Ministries International. Um, great episodes, great talk with Gary, and um, I fully conclude with him what he thinks the aliens are. Um, in what he described. So he's saying that some of the really hard to explain cases about UFOs um, could be actually demons mm-hmm. 
doing doing things right. and and the bible has descriptions of demons a little bit and gives us some hints of what can and can't be done a little bit and demons could do some of the things that ufos do and demons are very happy if people believe that they're aliens because mm-hmm. that gives the that gives them a door uh, well, to yeah, and people. and what they do, Wayne, it's like the serpent in in the garden, is that they'll use Bible, they'll use God's words, uh, but they'll obscure them. Like Marshall Applewhite, who was the head of this uh, Heaven's Gate cult, he used Christian terminology, he used Christian Christian yeah. vocabulary, he taught theology, but it was radically different than what the gospel says. And so there's always this twist and every cult that we study at Watchmen always has something to say about Jesus always is twisting or misinterpreting or denigrating the Bible in some way but with yeah. the with the UFOs and the ancient aliens uh, we have this similar example where scripture is used by ancient alien advocates and it is twisted and turned around and um, and misinterpreted and th- this is how people get led astray by using Bible language incorrectly and it often is uh, goes totally against uh, the real story from the ancient peoples. I I think about it. There's there's a lot that's said by the ancient alien people about the Mayans and this uh, King Pakal. King Pakal. There's a sarcophagus kind of thing uh, that has a lot of ornate uh, carvings on it, and. Uh, the the carvings on this, they've tried to argue is it's about him going up into a in a spaceship into space, but it's really kind of the opposite mm. because it's what, what they what they believed was that uh, when he died he went down into the underworld. So in their in their understanding of it, he was really going down, not going up, and it was. Uh, what they believed happened when when the king died mm. so it's kind of a so the ancient alien promoters are promoting these ideas with without any um consideration given to what the people really believe in other words these were these these mayans had some strange beliefs but they they had a reason for doing going to all the effort to carve this and they put a lot of work into this. They had, they didn't have an alphabet like we have for writing, but they wrote in other ways with these pictographic carvings in stone. And they they wrote about what they were doing. They explained what they mm-hmm. were doing. And uh, this has been figured out. Somebody took the time to figure out the, the history of the Mayans and what their writing meant. And and the ancient alien people are ignoring all of the all of the effort that went into figuring out the minds, mm. and they're shortcutting all of that and skipping to this the worst conclusion possible, which is about ancient aliens. Have you heard of the? Um, I'm sure some of our listeners have. Have you heard of the Raelian religion? I have, but I don't know much about it. In 1973, this was um, right between von Daniken and. And I almost said Stitchin, <laughs> Von Daniken and Sitchin. <laughs> I've been been very careful this whole hour. Um, right between uh, Von Daniken and, and Sitchin in 1973, 
a French journalist by the name of Claude Vorihan. I'm Vorihan. I don't know how to pronounce his name in French. Uh, now called Rael, uh, was contacted, allegedly, Wayne, by a visitor from another planet. And he was told to establish an embassy to welcome these extraterrestrials back to Earth. Uh, this little visitor uh, was about four feet in height, had long black hair, almond-shaped eyes, olive skin, and exuded harmony and humor. He told Rael, the French journalist, he said, We were the ones who made all life on Earth. You mistook us for gods. We were the origin of your main religions. Now that you are mature enough to understand this, we would like to enter official contact through an embassy. And thus began the Raelian religion, based on an extraterrestrial visitation to a French journalist in 1973. Now, I would have no doubt that uh, the French journalist could have very well been visited by a demonic being. Um, it, it's, it's one of those things where, you know, is this an imagination or is this real? Did this really happen? But given the supernatural, it's entirely possible. But whatever the case, uh, here is another example of a cult that began with uh, the idea of alien contact. Yeah, uh, I'm just struck by, Dan, that we have to learn the difference between good sources of information and bad sources of information. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so we got to keep our heads screwed on right and learn about what we're hearing. Absolutely. Think think critically about what we're Absolutely. hearing. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, and in the description notes below, we talked about Marshall Applewhite's Heaven's Gate and the Raelian religion, we have these profiles. We have four-page profiles on both of these cults at uh, watchman.org, and we I will uh, link these profiles. They're free. You can get them. I will link these uh, for people in the description notes of our podcast. So um, we, I think, what's the takeaway here, Wayne? That uh, Jesus is Lord. He's coming back. The demons and the spiritual warfare is very real, and spiritual warfare can certainly take the form of trying to convince people of the reality of aliens today or aliens many thousands of years ago. Um, there, There's a, something I would like to mention about this. This is kind of a different angle on some of this. A lot of the ancient alien promoters focus on something about really ancient people mm -hmm. from long, long ago. Mm -hmm. and And some of their arguments wouldn't go over so well if they were arguing from the middle ages or something maybe but so they go to the really ancient things uh -huh. right and ancient groups of people right. and um genesis actually gives some insight here i think is that there's you know the bible in genesis talks about the tower of babel incident where god intervened and he confused the people's languages and that caused people to spread out around the world so what happened then well we don't know everything that happened to those people after they spread out but the bible gives them uh, a list of names in the genealogies and those names can be related to really to real people groups and languages and um, so where did some of these ancient people go what happened in the ancient world i think that the biblical view of history 
is is actually giving some insight into ancient history. Uh, I know someone who's looking into the genetics of the human race, Dan, from a, a, a creationist perspective, because there's there's a number of things now about genetics that tends to confirm the the history of things in Genesis. Believe it or not, the the time scale, the fact that in the in, there was a flood that caused the population to get down to a, a small number of people. If there's certain things about this that can be related to um, genetics, and, and and it actually it actually can make sense out of history. Sometimes there's a lot to be figured out there that we don't know, but a biblical view of history makes more sense than people think it does. And one of the things that comes out of a biblical view of history is that uh, people were smart from the start. Yeah. They were. F- fully human from the beginning, and they were probably smarter than you and I. <laughs> they were healthier than you probably. and I, and they lived longer than you yeah. and I. And, and But they did not have all this uh, knowledge that we've accumulated through history. They did not have all of the technology. They didn't have cell phones. Right. Well, of course not. Yeah, hopefully not. Um, that would be alien technology if they had a cell phone in a sarcophagus. That would be interesting. So th- imagine the the healthiest, smartest people you can you can you would know of in the world today, and and what would it be like in a world that starts out ideal in an ideal environment, and they didn't have any knowledge? How, what would they do if they had to figure out everything from scratch? I think that's the interesting thing, and Genesis gives us that picture. And it's interesting, too, because uh, in the Raelian religion, they have a very interesting view of creation that, to me, sounds exactly like what, uh, I think it was Francis Crick or uh, Watson, one of the two, that uh, promoted this idea that that um, DNA was... Uh, was like panspermia that 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 our that our the seed of life came from an alien race. Listen to what the Raelians say about Genesis. The Raelians say that Genesis is a written account of how people from another planet created all life on Earth. So here you have a DNA scientist saying that uh, you know panspermia that 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 life on Earth was seeded by an alien race, and here you have the Raelians, this cult that began in 1973. That the messages that Rael explained, he he uses. They take the word Elohim. Rael and this 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 cult use Elohim as a people. How the Elohim? So he instead of using Elohim as a name for God, um, is using Elohim as a name for people, and that these Elohim used genetics and the chemicals of DNA to create life on Earth, and so man in the Raelian cult is created in the image of these alien beings. So, and it, it's just fascinating to me how that idea and, yeah. and something that a scientist could say. I mean, there are scientific organizations. You have like the search for extraterrestrial intelligence um, who are, they're looking for, for aliens. I mean, we're spending, I don't know how much, yes. but but again, here's that here's that idea, Wayne, where, where bad ideas uh, really sap our time, energy, strength, and resources. I mean, that's what idolatry does when you go after the wrong things and you think that you know, aliens are going to give us answers to to our questions. I remember talking to, to, to Gary Bates, and he was describing a uh, time he went to a UFO conference in, in Roswell, I think it was, and he said he didn't know if the man was faking it or if he was 
possessed, but he stood up and started speaking in this really deep voice uh, that he was an alien. And he was the, the whole audience, the, the pin dropped silent. Everybody was transfixed on this guy. Um, and he was telling people the, the whole alien stuff, right? But, but Gary's like, it, he thought, it seemed like the guy was possessed, you know? I mean, literally, like, demonically possessed. And, uh, yeah, <laughs> I mean, but there, there is, I totally agree with Gary, there's a spiritual warfare behind all of this, Wayne, uh, trying to lead people astray. And it's interesting, too, that the alien beings, whenever you read of alien encounters, uh, people that have claimed to have seen or talked to or have been talked to by alien beings, they always have something to say about God. There is no God. We're God, or or we created you, or we are the ones that that started all of this. Um, and but there's they always have something to say about God or Jesus sometimes. Yes, interesting. Uh, so uh, it's interesting how they conflate yeah, things. Yeah, and, and that idea from the Raelians that uh, somehow uh, beings from space got life started or helped humans get started here. Um, that's that's an idea that can appeal to modern science. Absolutely, sometimes. absolutely. And another thing that's added on to this uh, sometimes, Dan, is the idea that aliens will somehow make humans more advanced and help us to evolve into something better or greater in some way. And uh, I think that's absurd because, you know, there's um, there's something I've heard from genetics experts, Dan, that Every individual today, and it varies, but on the average, every individual has around 100 uh, mutations more than their parents. Wow, you mean so we are suffering from entropy? Yes, we are. Our, our genetics, our DNA is breaking down. Wow, we need, uh, we need patches on our genes. <laughs> the cell has mechanisms to fix these mutations sometimes, but we are breaking down. Yeah, and, we are. And so we're, we're not going to become something better. So our hope has got to be beyond this life. Yeah. I mean, that is... Uh, it's got to be. That is um, that's so true. I mean, we, uh, because of sin, um, death has, has come, physical death and spiritual death, but Jesus restores us to to spiritual health. Um, I was just uh, uh, thinking about the Nicodemus passage in Jesus and Nicodemus in John 3, um, you know, and, and Jesus says, you must be born again. He tells Nicodemus, well, don't marvel at this, that I said you must be born again. You know, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever so should believe in him, not aliens, not idols, not statues, uh, not, not devices, uh, nothing like this, not our technology. Whoever so should believe in Jesus will have everlasting life. And uh, so any quest for everlasting or eternal life or a promise of, of new life is not going to come from cryogenics or aliens or advanced technology um, because all of our bodies are decaying and there's there's no reversing that. But uh, the greatest gift uh, comes from the one the only one who visited our planet from another world is the Lord Jesus. And he's not an alien, <laughs> but he, he's the only one that has come to us from outside of our universe, outside of our world. He has come to us and God has come to us. John 1, 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt 
among us. Dwelt among right. us. But there is that yeah. warning in Revelation that woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has also. The devil has come down to you with wrath, for he knows he has a short time. So while we're here on earth, we are at war with the principalities and powers in heavenly places. And so there is a, a battle uh, against Jesus and those who keep the testimony of Jesus, a very spiritual, very real spiritual warfare. And part of that warfare, Wayne, I think is exactly what we've been talking about tonight uh, in the form of lies, deceptions, uh, aliens, and, and all these false ideas about ancient people and about aliens and about uh, you know who we are in relation to God. Um, and so we hope this episode has been food for thought for you. Uh, we will link you to Wayne's article and all the resources in Wayne's article. You can have an endless stream of resources. We recommend listening to the Gary Bates interview that we did uh, last year or the year before. It's been a while, but um, we'll link a bunch of good resources for you. I'll put the cult uh, profiles that we did on the Raelians and the Heaven's Gate on the notes. This is going to be chock full of good links in our notes tonight, so make sure you check yes. those out at the end of the broadcast. So, Wayne, any final thoughts? Uh, just don't lump the Bible into the ancient aliens and think that uh, biblical archaeology is the same thing. Right. Uh, bi- biblical scholarship and, and biblical archaeology is really, really good work. And uh, uh, Christian archaeologists don't always agree, but uh, it doesn't mean that they're uh, ignoring the facts and, or something or, or ignorant or something. Right, right, right. So we uh, thank you for tuning in to this episode of Good Heavens. And, uh, you know, and if you watch these ancient alien shows on the History Channel, I mean, they are for entertainment and History Channel gets a lot of views. But uh, uh, just just be careful when you get into the, the speculative nature of, you know, people that are claiming that these things are true. Wayne, there was a book. I think you can – We it uh, Crash Go the Chariots. Is that correct? Is that still available? Uh, yes, it's, uh, it's a man named Clifford Wilson that he probably died a number of years ago, but, uh, him and his wife are both archaeologists and I really like it. He did a book in 1972 or three called, uh, Crash Go the Chariots, critiquing Von Danigan. Then he did another book, uh, a couple years later called The Chariots Still Crash. <laughs> <laughs> and I've been, I've been looking at his second book. Because these are old books now from the seventies, and uh-huh. they would be, but they're still good. Long, long since out of print, but I really like Clifford Wilson. Okay, so check out Clifford Wilson. I think you can. I got uh, the paperback copy of his first book, Crash Go the can, Chariots, on Amazon can, for a couple dollars. It's uh, yes, if you can find it, it's really worth it. Actually, yeah, it's yeah. really good. So don't go. Uh, you know, if you have an alien visitor in your bedroom, hey, just name the name of Jesus and pray. Um, if you know anybody that's that's interested in UFOs in an unhealthful way, um, turn them on to our podcasts and our resources. And uh, at, at Watchmen, we have a lot of information on cults and things. Uh, we encourage you to check that out as well. So um, be safe, be in the Word, and know the truth. For If you know the truth, the truth will set you free. And if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed, as Jesus says. And uh, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father. No one gets in through the eye of the needle. No one gets on the narrow way without uh, through without going through Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Um, so if an alien shows up on your doorstep with a special message, just ask him what he thinks of Jesus and uh, be ready for fireworks. 
they they won't say they won't have anything i bet if you ever talk to an alien he won't have anything nice to say about the son of god Uh, well if you talk about the son of god he'll probably go away he'll probably go away or get angry or just just uh in the name of jesus in the name of jesus uh so keep that in mind and again thank you for tuning in to good heavens and wayne we will see you next time right here on oh good heavens I'm glad you didn't say Nibiru. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. There is nothing quite as breathtaking and spectacular about a star-filled night sky. For thus says the Lord, who created the heavens. He is the God who formed the earth and made it. He established it and did not create it a waste place but formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord, and there is none else. Good Heavens is recorded and produced by Watchman Fellowship Incorporated. For more information about our podcast and ministry, including having our staff speak at your church, resources on apologetics, and other non-Christian ideologies and spiritual practices, visit watchman.org. That's watchman.org dot o r g